Hold your wit, hold your wit, hold your wit. Y'all know how we get started on this side. Quick roll call with my Saints fans, my Falcon fans, my Buck fans, my Panther fans. Whether you keep pounding, firing off them cannons, rising up or yelling out who that. Whatever you do to support your team, I'm just glad that you're here supporting me. I, Darian in the mouth of the South Gray, the one and only host of Point Blank Period. Recorded and coming to you live from the Jansport per usual on Instagram and underscore mouth of the South. On Twitter at South Exclusives, come talk to me. Drop five-star reviews down below, please. And I would say I hope that they're genuine, and I really do. But even if you got to, you know, embellish a little bit, throw five stars on me. But let me know, and I will try to improve the content most definitely. And I appreciate all of you guys for coming in with me. So on this episode, I'm going to review the game of the week, which was the Buccaneers versus the Vikings. I'm going to talk about Jalen hurting the Saints. And I got a guest coming on. I got Tremel Jeffers, the Cheesehead, the host of the Cheesehead Talk podcast. We're going to talk about him possibly having the number one seed and also going against Carolina this week. So it's kind of a stacked show. So without any further ado, let's get into it. So I'm going to start off with the game of the week, and that's the Vikings versus the Bucks. And let me first start off by saying I'm not trying to put sole blame on the Vikings and absolutely no credit to the Buccaneers, but I do think that the Vikings beat the Vikings. And I think that the Bucs were presented with certain opportunities and they took advantage of them like a good team should do. They capitalized on the opportunities they were given. And there's probably four real things that I feel like led to the Buccaneers getting this victory. Or not really led to them getting the victory, but they really benefited from these things. Number one, that P.I. on that Hail Mary. It's the first time in 11 years that pass interference has been called on a Hail Mary. And it led to three points at the end of the half. They definitely benefited from that. I'm not, I, this is not me questioning the validity. You Usually you don't get pass interference on, uh, pat on, on a Hail Mary. I get why it was called. Still shocking to see happen. Then another pass interference actually happened earlier in the game was on Jeff Gladney in the end zone. That was not pass interference. Mike Evans slipped. There was contact between players, yes, but that was a poor call. That was not P.I. And I think that was really one of the things that really could have turned the game around when you really think about it. It's 7-6. They're on basically second and goal. You throw what's supposed to be a route to Mike Evans in the end zone, but he just falls. It's not even about him getting clamped up or anything. No, he just happens to slip. Jeff Gladney is covering him well, though, so he's in position to make the interception. Man, I know that has to hurt because it's not like it was just P.I. and it's like, oh, that's a bad call. But Gladney intercepted it, and he wasn't touched, I don't believe. And he got up and ran. He didn't run all the way to the end zone, though. He just stopped running. So I don't know if they would have called him down by contact or gave himself up or what the, the case was. But he was not pass interfering. <laughs> there was no pass interference on Mike Evans. He allowed him to run his route. Evans just happened to slip. And the Bucks benefited from that. That would have kept the game at 7-6. Who knows? Because on the next play, Rojo, touchdown. And I think the clearest thing and the easiest thing to point to because it's actually quantifiable is Dan Bailey being absolutely terrible. And the reason that the Vikings are working out kickers now. He was horrible in this game. 
he cost the Vikings 10 points. And it's a lot of times where you say, man, if you just would have caught that ball, we would have led to this, that, and third. No. I watched the man miss three uh, field goals. Three plus three is six. Plus three is nine. And I watched him miss a, an extra point. Ten. It's very easy math. I'm not guessing what would have happened. No, if you would have put that ball between the uprights, I would have had three points, three points, three points, and one point. That's ten points, and the Vikings lost by 12. That That's that's something they benefited from. And then I think something that they may have benefited from the most is the culmination of all those factors led to them being up 17-6 to six at halftime. And it took away what is Minnesota's best weapon, Dalvin Cook, from being as effective as he was in the beginning of the game. Because I said that he was going to hit 60 yards because of accumulation. He went even higher and got to 100 yards, and it was because he was balling. Had nothing to do with he just getting carry after carry after carry after carry after carry. No, he was doing what he needed to do with those carries. So at this point, they're kind of in makeup mode. They only had three drives in the second half, and we're going to get into them. But... They're at their best, and they being the, the Vikings, when they allow Dalvin to march them down the field. And I don't feel like being down 17-6 at halftime allowed you to do that to the full capacity. You weren't just in I have to pass every down mode, but you weren't allowed to really run the ball the way that you would have ran the ball. So with this lead, the defense started showing out. And I felt like they were very timely with their plays because – there was only three drives in the second half for the Vikings, and they scored on the first one. On the next two, the defense stepped up in huge ways. So on that first one, or the second rather, the Vikings are driving down the field once again. They have two sacks on that drive after the, after the Vikings get into a goal situation. You had on second and goal, third and goal, sack, sack. It pushed the, the Vikings farther back. And I would say that he was pushed out of field goal range, but with the way Dan Bailey was kicking, and oh my gosh, the trajectory of Dan Bailey's career, that was sad to see. You don't want to imagine five years from now, Justin Tucker is on some random team and he's just missing kicks. That would hurt me to watch. So Dan Bailey was supposed to be that guy back in the day, and now he's kind of fell off. It's kind of like watching Vinatieri struggle. It's like, man. But nevertheless, it pushed him farther back and made it a 46-yard field goal. He had missed a 36-yard field goal earlier. So I don't know if he would have made it even if they didn't get the sacks, but they pushed him back and it was an impact play by the defense. So you go to the ensuing possession. JPP forces a fumble on fourth and long. Well, it was already fourth and long. What does it matter if it was a fumble? Because two plays earlier, they had another sack of 10 yards. This is four impact plays on two possessions by the defense in what was a relatively close game. This could have led to two touchdowns, possibly. Now, one touchdown score, who knows how things were going to go, so I don't want to make it seem like if they didn't make the plays, it was just going to be game over and everything's going to change. But things would have been different. That's all I'm saying. Four impact plays on two possessions. And those four things, in addition to the defensive performance allowed for the Bucks to weather a slow start. And I don't really want to talk about the, the offense because I think it always gets into Tom Brady versus Bruce Arians, and I think it's a, a conversation that needs to be dead. I won't have it right now, maybe another time, but I'm not about to be like NFL Live and talk about it every week and say the same thing every week. 
I think they're both they're both at fault. There you go. But I'll tell you one thing that needs to happen. Scotty Miller should be a part of this weekly game plan every week. He and Brady have had immediate chemistry and it was proven again this week. He needs to be in the game. I think he needs to have a couple shots. Brady makes shots to him. So let him take them. Now, before I get into vibe of the week, we're going to talk about Jalen hurting the Saints. I actually just went on uh, my boy Chris Peel's podcast and discussed this game at length, amongst other things, of course. But I had no plans on talking about this game. I had no plans on talking about the Saints before the week, mostly because I thought the Saints were going to win. So there was nothing really to discuss, so to speak. But they didn't win, so now it is something to discuss. And I forgot to say, but if you want to check that podcast out, it's the It's Just the Game podcast. You can find it as Chris Peel. That's K-H-R-I-S-P-O-P-E-E-L. I was about to say three E's, two E's, P-E-E-L. So, but anyway, back to this. I, what hurts, I really was not too impressed. I know this is going to sound like I'm hating or whatnot. But I wasn't too impressed because of what he did. Like, he won the game, yes. But let's talk about how he won the game. It's not like he was this crazy passer. Yeah, he ran up and down the Saints. But what, what impressed me the most, and I mean the running a little bit, but mostly was his decision-making because it led to that running. It's something that Saints fans have wanted in Taysom Hill. You can run. See, when something wasn't there, Jalen took off. That's what it was. It wasn't there. All right, I'm either going to get out of here and I'm going to throw it away or I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to run. And I'm immediately going to make that decision. So he made the decision quickly to do what he was going to do. So that did surprise me. I didn't think his pocket awareness and his comprehension was going to be on that level immediately. But what I really think did in the Saints was that read option. And here's the thing about the read option. From a defense perspective, this is what you're supposed to do. Put one guy on the quarterback, one guy on the on the running back. That way, if he pulls, somebody's there. If he doesn't pull, somebody's there. But from an offensive standpoint, if you don't do that, and it's just one on two, it's going to make you make a decision. And if done correctly, your decision is wrong. Doesn't matter if you go left or right. There, If you go right, they're going to go left. You go left, they're going to go right. It's that, it's that simple. That's what the read option is meant to do. It's meant to put you into a dilemma. And whatever you choose is the wrong decision. And I think they achieved it in the first half. Because it makes you even double guess what to do even on regular runs. And I think that's what really led to that 82-yard touchdown run. I don't think if the, if the Eagles don't run read option so many times during that game, I don't think that that hole is as wide as it is. That and the guard pushed the defensive tackle back and Quan tried to run underneath when he probably should have went over the top, but he tried to go underneath and there was nobody in that hole because he went underneath and he didn't make it. So it's one of those situations where the Eagles got a good game. Don't get me wrong. They got a good game. They won. You can't take that away from them. The Saints have to be better. Taysom Hill has to be better. You know, I'm not really going to get too much into the offense, but the offense needs to be better. I need to see Taysom be 
more consistent throughout the game. Pete, I'm not high on Pete. He has a lot to prove to me. He's had a lot to prove to me before he signed the contract. And since he got so much money, he has even more to prove to me. But nevertheless, the offense just was not moving effectively. Even in the second half when they got going, they weren't moving effectively. So there's some things that need to be worked out. Some kinks need to be worked out. Lutz on special team, you you made a great uh, onside kick. Unfortunately, it wasn't received. And then when you were kicking the ball, he's been off. So special teams needed some work. Defense was getting, they stepped up in the second half, but in the first half, they put him down in the deficit. Don't get me wrong, though. If the defense plays like that, you should, you're supposed to win that game more times than you're not. But the defense had some work to do. They finally got ran on. That 100-yard rusher streak is gone, and I really don't care because I know the Saints still have a good, good run defense. There's people like that where you may not have a good run defense, but you haven't given up a 100-yard rusher in X amount of games. So it's not a stat by itself that really means too much, but it's prideful because the Saints also had a good run defense. So it's gone. I think the, still, the Saints still have a good run defense. I don't think that now that the streak is gone that the Saints said, ah, well, it's gone. Let's go ahead and stop stopping the run. No. But offense, defense, special teams all had things to work on in this game. But overall, look, I went outside Monday morning and I looked up and the sky was still above me. It wasn't falling. I'm okay. When you lose to a 3-8-1 and one team, there is reason for concern. But this can also just be a blip, flash in the, plan, flash in the pan, excuse me, and be something that just moves on right away. So losing that game and you got Kansas City coming up, I don't think the Saints are going to get that number one seed anymore. But you don't want to go into Christmas Day looking how it may look. But who knows? The Saints could come out and beat the Chiefs. But after losing to the Eagles, yes, there is room and reason to be concerned. But it's not time to be panicked. Don't press the panic button. It's on to get on to Kansas City. And that's just what it's going to be. 24 hours has passed. The game's over. It's out of the mind. It's on to Kansas City. And how are we going to stop Tyreek Hill, who Sean Payton specifically pointed out on the Huddle and Flow podcast, which if you haven't checked out, you definitely should because it was a great listen. But I got Sir coming up. Vibe of the week. Afterwards, I'll be talking to my boy, family, Jamel Jeffers. I better fall back. I don't mean to mislead her. But if she believed every word that I said, I'd take it all back. She playing follow the leader But that doesn't mean that I ain't gotta leave her oh, no. She say she could give me what I need I should make her more than company I swear she got that fire But does it compare to Cali? No She's so happy when she's next to me Thought she had me, baby, really thought she had me now she feeding for the rest of me But that isn't in the recipe Let it go, let it go Girl, say what you want and you know 
Welcome back to Point Blank Period. I am Darian, the mouth of the South Gray, and I am joined by a good friend of mine, and now back on the show for the second time, so I guess friend of the show, Tramel Jeffers, a.k.a. The Cheesehead, the host of the Cheesehead Talk podcast, and the Packers are going against the Panthers this week, and we're going to talk about that in the potential number one seed, but first off, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about you? Uh... I would say I can't complain, but you know I can. You know, <laughs> I still haven't really recouped from last week, but it's all right. So I'm going to get into it right away. What would it mean for Green Bay to get the first seed this year? Like, how important is it? How much do you want that number one seed? Uh, To me, it's a push for different reasons. I'll give you the good side of it, and I'll give you the bad side of it. Uh, I guess we can start with the good side. The good side is we will have bragging rights. I can brag and say we have the best record in the NFC. Also, we'll have a bye week. I guess you can say that's a good thing as well because we'll have players who can rest, guys who have injuries, they can heal. Just give time, give guys time to rest and study for our upcoming opponent for our second-round matchup. And another good thing is we won't be upset in the first round of the playoffs. That would be a huge disappointment if that were to happen, but that's not possible because we would have a bye week. And then on the bad side, there's there's no fans in the stands. Either it's no fans in the stands or it's a limited capacity. It's not like regular years due to COVID-19. So the fans not being in the stands, that really hurts. And that takes away a big home field advantage. Also, my biggest fear of having the number one seed is coming out flat. Coming out flat that very next week that we play that first playoff game. I, I really, really fear us coming out flat because you only get one, you only have one loss and you're out the dance. You're out the tournament. You're out. You're out for good, so you won't play until next season. So that's 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 the good thing, and that's the bad thing about it. Okay, so when the Saints lost to the Eagles over the weekend, and you guys probably see your chances to get the number one seed much stronger as you have it now, as opposed to the beginning of the uh, of Sunday. What was your thought process? watching the Saints lose that game and watching your team come up to the number one seed? It was towards the end of the Packers game where we pretty much knew we had the game wrapped up. And I checked the other scores, and I saw the Saints were down. I saw they were down at halftime. I think it was like 17-0 when I checked. And then I checked again later once I knew we wrapped the game up. And I saw y'all were still down, and Philadelphia had the ball. And I knew the game was pretty much over. And I was like, wow, I did not expect New Orleans to lose this game. I thought it would come next week against Kansas City. And that's big because I thought I, – I do think you all are going to lose to Kansas City next week. I do. But the thing is, I feared us against Tennessee. I thought if we lose one more game this season, it will come to Tennessee. But obviously that really won't matter if we if we go 3-1 and one these next – if we go two and one these next three games, because I do believe you all will lose to Kansas City, and we'll still have the same record, and we own the tiebreaker, so that would mean we get the number one seed. 
or unless somehow the Los Angeles Rams can grab it. But I think we pretty much have the number one seed wrapped up. So I was surprised after seeing that result. I did not see that coming at all. Yeah, I do think that the Rams are a sneaky look for the one seed. I don't know what happens if it's a three-way tie because everybody would have the same amount of conference losses and there would be no head-to-head victor who beat both teams. So it would be interesting to see what happens at the end of the year and how that tiebreaker will work if it was a tie between the Saints, Rams, and Packers, which could happen if the Rams went out and the Saints and Packers both lose another game. But enough of the Saints. They just heard me talk about the Jalen Hurts debacle. That's what I want to call it. It's a debacle. But enough of them. Let's talk about the team that you are facing this week, which is also in the division, the Carolina Panthers. So we've seen what just happened with the Saints. The Panthers are 4-9. and nine. Do you think this could be a trap game for the Packers? I do, because when you look at the talent over there in Carolina, they're very talented. They're one of the best offenses in the league on paper. And the return of Christian McCaffrey, that kind of concerns me as well. That just adds another weapon to the football team with DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, Teddy Bridgewater. He's playing decent this year. And then they even have the run game going with Mike Davis. And if McCaffrey's able to come back, man, it just adds another weapon. And that's scary. Like I said, they're very underrated. I know they're having a disappointing season. They're sitting at four and eight, four and nine right now. But this is a sneaky good team. And they showed about a month ago when they played Kansas City that they could play with anybody. Right. So that's a great point. They did play Kansas City down to the wire. And they played a lot of teams down to the wire. But they've been terrible in actually closing those games. Great at forcing them, terrible at closing them. So what needs to be done from the Green Bay perspective to not allow this game to even get to that type of situation? Uh, We're going to have to start quick. But like you said, we got to finish too. Our last two weeks, the way we finished these games have been terrible. We saw that two weeks ago against Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts. Almost led a comeback, almost took the game into overtime. And then last week against Detroit, I don't like the way we closed that game out either. It looked like we ran off with the game. We were up 10, we were up 10 points. It was 31-21. Then on the kickoff, Detroit runs it about 70, 75 yards. And they pretty much scored quick and got a chance to kick an onside kick. And they almost recovered that. So the way we've been closing our games is not good. So to avoid that situation, we have to start off fast, like we've pretty much done all season. Get off to those quick starts, score on the first drive, force a three and out on Carolina's first drive, set the tone in the game so we won't have to worry about closing in a close game. You talked about how you guys have started off fast all year. Well, to do that, you're going to have to go through one guy, and I think you know who I'm about to bring up. You've deemed him, I don't know why, but you've deemed him my favorite player in the NFL, and that's Jeremy Chin. Give me give me your thoughts on his season thus far, and why do you think he's my favorite player? I don't get it. The reason I say he's your favorite player is because every time I log on Twitter, I see a Carolina Panther highlight. And I don't know too many Carolina Panther fans. The only Panther fan I know is is Desmond, who works at ESPN, one of the guys we have debates with here and there. And 
I look at the top to see who retweeted it. It's not Dez, so I know it's you, and it is you. <laughs> Every single time I see a tweet <laughs> about Jeremy Chen, all the time, it never fails. Every time I click on my Twitter, it's a highlight or it's a tweet about Jeremy Chen, and that's why I say he's your favorite player. I joke with you and say that. But Jeremy Chen, he's a very good player, very good player. We didn't. I didn't expect to see him become the Carolina Panthers' best defensive player. I thought it would be their first-round pick that they had. But obviously, that hasn't been the case this year. And when I look at Jeremy Chen, he's a playmaker. He can cover a little bit. He's a tackling machine. And over the last two games, he's had a knack for knocking out the football. He scores two fumbles in his last game, in his last two games. So he's definitely a problem, and he's definitely somebody we have to look out for. He's now your favorite player, too, because you all you just did right there and talk about what he's done over the last couple of weeks is what I've done. I'm, I'm not a fan. I just report, man. He he had two touchdowns in the game and didn't get defensive player of the week. I was surprised. I, I'm just saying that's all I was doing. But in praising this man and talking about the good things he's done, he is now well, I have now earned the moniker of Jeremy Chin's number one fan. So. I don't know, but but back to your team, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers. I've talked to you about how I think they they stuff this man's face in the red zone. They continuously feed him nonstop, but that's not the only thing he does. And I mean, I'm a little bit facetious when I do that, just you know, lighthearted banter. But talk about the chemistry between Adams and Rodgers. Man, it's amazing to watch. I thought Rodgers and Jordy was one of the best duos I ever seen. But, man, I, I think Adams and Rodgers have surpassed that. The chemistry, man, the, the plays, play after play after play, they just continue to do it. You know it's coming, and they still do it. Teams know it's coming, and Rodgers and Adams, they do it anyway. They make the play anyway. And that's what's so amazing about it. And it's every single week. It's the consistency with it. And they just can't be stopped. So <laughs> I want to talk about a different receiver because all the attention is on Adams. Aaron Rodgers said he took pride in seeing Valdez Scantlin score after back-to-back -back games with no catches. And we know uh, in the Indianapolis game, they said he was getting death threats after, which is ridiculous. But he responded this week with six catches for 85 yards. What do you expect from him going forward? Honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know because he's so inconsistent. That's his problem. He He's very inconsistent. But he has played He has played better this season. I will give him that. This is his best season of his career by far. He's had some 100-yard games. And then, like you said, he's had back-to-back -back games where he doesn't even have a catch. But he really showed me something in that Indianapolis game. He He's given me a little hope. I know he had the fumble that pretty much ended the game, lost us the game. But in that game, he made some big catches. He had that big catch to pretty much get the game into overtime. He played very good against a very good Indianapolis Colts defense. So when I see him have a performance like that against a good defense, it gives me a little bit of hope. But without Scantlin, it's the consistency. Will he do that in the playoffs? when we see another good defense? Will he do that against Tampa Bay? Will he do that against the Los Angeles Rams? Will he do that against the Saints? 
That's my concern with Valdez Scantling. Will he step up in the big moments? I think that's a valid question. But enough of the questions. Let's get an answer out of you, a definitive answer. Are the Green Bay Packers the best team in the NFC? If so, why? If if not, why not? Right now, I would say yes. They're the best team in the NFC. And the reason I say that is because there's really no alpha male in the NFC. New Orleans, they're a good football team, but Green Bay, they can beat them. Anybody can beat anybody in the NFC. Anybody that's in the playoffs right now, they can beat each other. I think we can beat Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay can also beat us. We can beat the Los Angeles Rams. Los Angeles can also beat us. But I think since we are the number one seed, we're the best team, but it's only because there's just no top-heavy team. Like in the AFC, you know for sure Kansas City is the best team in the conference. But when you go to that NFC, it's not like that. So that's why I think we're the best team. But it's only because it's not top-heavy. Definitely. As usual, man, it's always great talking to you. You know you family, man. Whether it's on the show, off air, I just appreciate you chopping it up with us. It's been Darian Gray. Tramel Jeffers, the cheese head, point blank period. Y'all know the drill. To the next time y'all hear me, run it back.